So we are going to be in Luke 18. And we will be in Luke 18 all day long. And uh, all day long, at least until you leave here. Luke 18. Um, this is a word the Lord gave to me today as I was, or this week as I was praying. And uh, I didn't really understand. It's the, like, I didn't quite understand why he was taking me to Luke 18. Everything in Luke 18 has been preached so many times over and over, everywhere you go. And uh, But as I'm reading it, I'm asking the Lord, what are you wanting out of this? I don't understand. And he, he asked me this question, are you good enough? Right, are you good enough? And and uh, And so I prayed about that and tried to figure it out and... Uh, if you go to Luke 18, verse 18, I'm going to read that verse 18 and 19 before we get into the whole thing, and then I'm going to pray. And it says, and a, and a ruler asked him, talking about Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for who you are, Lord. I thank you that you are good. I thank you that you are so wonderful, and you always speak to us, and you love us. And Father God, I pray that your words would just come out today, that you would speak to your people, God. I would get out of your way, and our hearts would be ready to receive everything you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And uh, I, I see this, and so as I'm looking at it, this the first thing I was led to was the rich young ruler in that. And... In Luke 18, it just says rich ruler. If you go to Matthew and Mark, it says young ruler. Uh, and we know he's rich, and that's how you know. But when you look at Luke's account, uh, and, and you see this, this is a, a scripture that is taught nonstop about uh, letting go of your riches. It's all, there's a lot of small things that are taught on this message. And... How many of you know that when Jesus gives, whenever the Scripture gives a story, a parable, anything like that, there's more to it than just that piece, right? A lot of times they're taught out of context or they're taught out of uh, the knowledge of what's going on in that moment. And so Luke is great at this. Luke was a doctor, so... What I always think when I'm reading in Luke is uh, kind of like whenever I talk about the uh, Good Samaritan. He, Luke gives all the details. How did it lead to this point, right? Because a doctor, when you go to the doctor, you say, my knee hurts. They're like, well, what have you been doing, right? Well, you know, how have you been exercising? What kind of things have you done? Or you're like, hey, doc, I'm sick. And they're like, what have you been eating? They always, doctors always want to know the root of, your, of the cause of your problem. And there's probably a route that Luke would have figured out with this rich young ruler, right? There has to be something of why the rich young ruler is coming to him and saying, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life, right? That's, and I don't know about you, that's a question I'd like to know. What do I have to do to make sure I'm good, right, that I'm ready? And uh, so we're going to look at the rest of chapter 18 here, but I'm going to 
just point out that this actually started in Luke 17. There's all kinds of people around, and Jesus has te- uh, like healed people. He's talked about different things. And then close to the end of chapter 17, uh, he starts talking about the coming kingdom, right? The kingdom of heaven. And he's telling them that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or a direct translation is the kingdom of heaven is within, right? And he's, he starts this narrative of the kingdom of heaven is, is there, is here kind of thing. And the Pharisees were the ones that started that conversation. They're asking about heaven. Who's going to get there? A lot of times when you get real deep messages from Jesus, you will find out the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, all the religious people are usually close because he's got to point out their error, right? And uh, so one part that really sticks out to me in Luke 17, verse 33, he said, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. And uh, I would imagine if you're close and you're listening, you're watching Jesus, you know Jesus is this powerful minister, like they all thought he was at least some kind of prophet or teacher, and he says this, I would imagine it grabs your heart. I imagine your first thought is, is, well, actually, probably the first one is, what does that mean? But whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. I, I, that makes me immediately start thinking, do I try to preserve my own life? Right? Do I sit around and try to figure out how I can make my life better? Do I try to figure out how, long, how I can live longer? But it's not necessarily healthy. He's not talking about you can't be healthy. He's talking about when you're focused on yourself, there's a problem. But whoever would lose his life will keep it. Jesus Christ, we know, the ultimate example of this, left his life in heaven to empty himself to come down and serve us. And that's the very thing Jesus is talking about here. Can't hear me very well. How about now? All right. I'll try to hold it here. I probably won't, but I'll try. It. Uh, so, huh? Oh, my bad. All right, so as we look at this, I want to I want to start out in uh, verse one of chapter eighteen, and he says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city, who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. And uh, we have to remember that this judge, it says, is unjust, and he could care less about this woman, right? And he's pointing that out. And uh, now, mind you, Jesus has already set up the concept of the kingdom to come, right? And uh, we, when we go into prayer, and he's talking about, you know, because that's what he starts it out as. Uh, we should always pray and not lose heart. How many of us know that? Well, I'm not going to put it on you. I'll say, how about me? I, I will say, when I pray often, when I am in prayer for something, it don't take me very long to lose interest in praying that prayer. Right? It doesn't take me long to say, Lord God, please do this, please do this, please do this. And then a week later, I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot. I ain't been praying that. 
right? Sometimes, I'll tell you this, in the prayer group, there's times that we know the Lord tells us to pray for something. To pray, 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 pray. And for two or three prayer sessions, we are really good at it. And then about a month later, somebody's like, oh, yeah, we forgot to be praying for this thing. Because we lose heart when we don't see something happen quickly. We, we, it, doesn't become, it doesn't become our focus, right? And uh, so he's trying to set this up. There's this, this horrible ruler who could care less what you're asking for. The woman's asking him, right? And he, will, and he says, uh, she says, give me justice for my adversary. And it goes on and says, for a while, this is verse 4, it says, for a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. That very word there, and some of you probably know this, but it's one of my favorite parts of this scripture, uh, for at least the persistent widow. That word there is hupo... Piaduzo, and it actually means to beat black and blue like a boxer, right? Or to give a black eye. So he's saying this lady's going to keep beating me down if I don't listen to her. And we all know that. It's kind of like you guys got 107 kids. You know, like they will be persistent. They will beat and they will beat and they will beat and they will beat until finally you're like, all right, enough's enough, right? And that's what's happening here. Right, And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. And here he is saying, pray always. Continue to ask, continue to ask. He just set up the whole concept of, of kingdom-mindedness, right? Well, the kingdom-mindedness is who, gets, who inherits the kingdom? It's the sons and the daughters of the king, right? It's those who belong to the king. It's the, the you know, if you're a prince or a princess, you know you're an heir to the throne. You know you get to inherit it. And he's saying if your father is good and he loves you, why would you not be persistent in praying in a way that you trust that he will provide, right? It's a mindset. How many of us are willing to really truly trust God that he will provide? Or how many of us lose heart whenever he doesn't provide? Or how many, how many times do we go to the Lord in prayer never actually expecting an answer or never actually expecting that he will take care of us, right? But this lady went to what sounds like the most hateful judge in the world and pretty much said, I'm going to beat you until the moment you say yes. I am not going to let up. I'm going to annoy you. I'm going to be more annoying than the most annoying little kid in the world. And you're not even my dad. And kids are persistent. I want to remind you that kids are persistent. Children are persistent. Right? Because they are children of their parents. Dad will will listen eventually. He will get it eventually. He will help me. And now mind you, dad doesn't always answer the way a child wants to be you to answer. But he will answer. Right? 
be it with correction, provision, whatever it is. And this last part here in verse 8, I don't know why I never paid attention to it, but it really hits home when you read it. And it says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? I've never caught that. Jesus is asking, will he find faith on earth? And my question in that is, will you be found in faith? When Jesus comes, will your faith truly be in him? Will he truly find faith? If nobody else has it, will he find it in us? And that's the faith of a child, his children, believing that Father God will provide, that he's better than everything else, right? I want you to be reminded that the title of this message is, Are You Good Enough? Let me tell you something. Most children are not good enough. But they're still children. They're still yours. Right? I want you to be reminding of that. Remembering that. Okay, so verse 9 he says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. We'll read this and then we're going to talk about that. Thinking they are righteous. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like the tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I do. And I think sometimes we may possibly approach God in that way. You know what? I'm going to church. I've been reading my Bible. I've been studying. I've made a couple extra things. I've been doing some things on the side. I preach the gospel to somebody. I talk to my coworker about Jesus. And we think about that stuff and we're like, boy, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Right? And I mean, we don't always do that, but I think sometimes that's our mindset of how we're living is what makes us good. Right? And I, I, out of that questionnaire, I would ask you, how do you approach Jesus? When you go into prayer, how are you approaching him? Right? We know from, uh, from the prayer Jesus taught us, taught us the Lord's Prayer that you start out humble. That's the way it is. You don't go in with prideful and thinking, I've set myself up pretty good here. Because that's not the case. Because even, even the best person in all the kingdom doesn't receive the kingdom if they're not a child of the king. Right? But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you this, man, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It's uh, that, that's a, that's a tough place to be that whenever you think you're okay. 
when you think you got it figured out and you think like, man, I've got this Christian walk good. Like, I am, I am set up. I'm ready to go. And Jesus has to humble you. And we've all seen it because we've all been there and you're like, whoo, I'm doing good. And the next thing you know, you're like, oh, wow, I didn't realize how bad I am. Right? You realize how messed up you are. Worst times in life. I do want to point out one thing, though. When you go to prayer and you're praying to the Lord and you're spending time with the Lord and you're approaching the Lord, you do not have to beat yourself up. Right? You have to be humble. There's a difference in being humble and beating yourself up because some people will always beat themselves up about how horrible they are and how they'll never make it. And you know what? We're all horrible. None of us will make it. Right? It's understanding you're approaching Jesus, the one who did it for you. Right? It's who you approach and how you approach him. Last week, and I do want to point this out also, uh, not to pass over it, but he said, I give tithes of all that I get. And last week, Jason taught on tithes, and that's one of those things that sometimes when we're doing good things like tithing, he talked about fasting, he talked about everything the Pharisee did. But there's times whenever we, we, we will fast because it's the right thing to do, or we'll give tithes because it's the right thing to do. And as Jason was saying last week, it's where your heart's at, right? Why are you tithing? Why are you fasting? Why are you doing the things you're doing? Is it so you can earn a place with God, or is it because you love God and you're doing what's right? I'm doing it for the Lord, right? It, it comes down to your heart. And uh, all right, verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked him. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. And uh, this was actually, you think, like, if, I, if Jesus was around, I would take my infant to him also. And you should. But this is actually the same practice as we do in churches today. When you had a child, you would take them to the elders. The elders would lay their hands on them. Elders would pray over them, bless them, and dedicate them to the Lord, just like we do now in our church. We do the same, right? We bring up a baby. Pastor Chad stands up, holds your baby, and we all gather around, and we touch the baby, all the elders do, and we pray over the baby. We dedicate them to the Lord. This is exactly what's happening here, but for some reason, the disciples didn't see it as an important thing. They didn't see it as an important thing that the children would be brought to Jesus, right? And uh, I think sometimes we lose that. We lose how important it is, first off, to minister within the home, even though that's not exactly what this is laying out, but we do forget that. We forget that bringing the children to Jesus is what he asks us to do, like over and over as believers and as parents and as leaders. It's the most important, but... Uh, then verse 17 says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And I go back to how do you approach Jesus? How do you approach God? Is it like a child? 
Is it like one who can't do it on their own? Is it like one who needs their father? Is it like one who, who sees him as the good father? Or is it as one who, look, I've been doing my part, now I need you to do your part. Is it as a one that we're in a covenant with, but not as a father-child covenant, right? How do you approach Jesus? Do you approach him as, and I will even say this, I don't even know if I, I don't think this is anywhere in my notes, but whenever, when we get saved sometimes, this is how I got saved when I was little. You go to Jesus and you're like, I want you to be a part of my life, right? And that's what we're taught a lot And whenever you get up there and just ask Jesus to be a part of your life. That, ain't, that has nothing to do. If you go right back to uh, chapter 17, verse 33, he says, get rid of your life, right? But what do we ask? We ask him to be a part of our life. Not that our life can be a part of what he's doing. It's a big difference. When a child is born, when an infant is born, they do not negotiate with their parents whether they want to be in that family or not. They also do not ask the parents to, hey, come be a part of what I want to do. When a child is born, they now have to be a part of their family. They don't get the option. There's no option there. There's no like, uh, you know what, I kind of want to do my own thing, Dad, and uh, you know, you help me get there. No, an infant has no idea. When an infant is born, he has no idea or she has no idea what she should do next because she is an infant. It's the same thing whenever we get saved. We shouldn't come into it expecting God to be a part of what we're doing. We should come into it saying, God, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just an infant. I'm a baby. And then God will begin to raise you in the ways of his kingdom. Right? Same thing with a family. You watch little kids walk, they walk like their mom or their dad. Same strut. And you sit there and you look at them like, that's just odd. But they've learned. They had to learn to be a part of that family, right? But when we approach Jesus, we don't always approach him in that way. Okay. I'm going to move past that. I think we understand that. I'm going to go to verse 18 where we started. And uh, so I said all this because... I used to always think this rich young ruler, when he comes to Jesus, I used to always think that when he came in, Jesus knew right away how prideful he was. And I've been taught many a times that when he, he approaches, he thinks he's already earned it. He thinks he was okay. He thought he was good enough. Right? I don't think he thought he was good enough. I think he was hoping he was good enough. I think once you hear everything Jesus has just talked about, and you're sitting there as a rich young ruler who has the world by its horns, and you're sitting here and you're like, I'm a pretty good person. Life's set up well for me. Whenever I was in my early 20s, I thought, like, I had it all figured out. I knew Jesus. Like, I, I had said the sinner's prayer. You know, I asked for salvation, but I thought I had it all figured out as a young man. I'm like, I got this. Like, I'm good, and I'm going to do the things I need to to make sure I'm right with God and and... Man, this is going to be, I got a good life. And then one day, I'm sitting around and my friend talks about like when we were in the army, and I've shared this before, and we were in the army, and I'm sitting there with him, and we're, we're in Hamburg, Germany. I'm stationed in Freiburg. I go down to Freiburg, Germany, and I go down to visit him. And we'd been out of America for about two, two months. We grew up together. He's my best friend. And I go down and I say, 
hey, man, how you doing? He goes, I'm miserable. Now, mind you, this guy had a miserable home life. His family life was one of the worst families I've ever seen, and I, I won't mention his name because somehow his parents hear this. I don't want them to think I'm saying they were horrible, but it was a bad life. His dad was an alcoholic. His mom didn't really do much of nothing. He was taking care of the bills on his house even in high school. Wasn't a good life. But we're sitting in Germany. He says, I just want to go home. I hate it here. Dumbfounded, I'm sitting here thinking, like, why would you want to go back to your house? But instead, what came out of my mouth was something completely different, and it was this, and it wasn't me saying it, because I would have never said this when I was young. I said, you will always be homesick, and you will always not belong where you're at until you get a relationship with Jesus Christ and start getting into church and getting involved. Now let's go have a beer. Right? Now, him and I, when we were heading to Germany, we made a pact because both of our dads were alcoholics that we would never drink when we get over there. That's all anybody ever talked about was drinking. Within the first day, I'm drinking. Right? I'm living a good life because I'm doing what's right. I'm okay to do what I want to do. Right? Because I'm doing what I thought was right. And so... He said, I thought we said we weren't going to drink. I'm like, man, we are thousands of miles from home. I think we're going to be all right, right? Well, he turns into a major alcoholic, like major alcoholic, has all kinds of issues, right? Doesn't go to church. He didn't listen to the first part. It was the drinking part when I took him out there, right? And there comes a point where he gets married early on, I try to tell him, don't do that. She's messed up. They have a kid. He has a six-month-old daughter, and his wife leaves him just out of nowhere. And he's driving down the road with a six-month-old daughter in his back seat, and he's just bawling his eyes out, not knowing what to do. He's, he's homesick. He's lonely. He don't know what to do. And he passes a church, and he remembers those first words that God put in my mouth. You always be homesick. You always be lonely. You never belong anywhere until you get a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he goes in. The pastor's in there. He gives his life to Christ, and his whole life transforms, right? I don't say that for any other reason than the fact that we're either leading people to Jesus or we're leaving them away. That's what changed my life. When he told me that story, I realized I had two options. I can live for Jesus or I can live for myself. One, lead them to Jesus. One, lead them away. I, could, I thought I had Jesus figured out and he would just be a part of my life, but that wasn't working, right? And that's where this rich young ruler is. He's at this point where, all right, there's something more. What am I missing, right? And so here Jesus is, and it says, and a ruler asked him, this is verse 18, good teacher, what must I do to inherit in eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. What should be the next answer? Next answer should be like, because you are Jesus, you're the Messiah, you are the one who's good, you are God, I praise you and I thank you for all you're doing. That should be the next answer, right? Because Jesus set it up, but he also understands this guy wants to be considered good. And he says, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. 
And this tells me this guy never heard the Sermon on the Mount. Otherwise, he would have never said, I've kept all these things from my youth, because Jesus says, even when you think these things, you're wrong, right? So he probably never heard the Sermon on the Mount, or he didn't really care what Jesus said about it. And I also think that when he said that, I think he was hoping that Jesus would say, like, all right, you're good. You're good enough. You're going to make it in. That's what I think he was hoping in that moment. He was like, oh, yes, I got it. And then Jesus said, says, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. So all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. That is one of those scriptures that is often taken out of context. It's always about money, 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 right? Here's what I will ask you. What is it in our life that Jesus might ask us to give up? What is it Jesus might ask us to be right with him? What is that one thing that you're like, I've been doing really good, and I've done, like, I do everything right, but this one part, I don't care what anybody says. I don't care if Kevin comes to me and says, hey, maybe not do that. Because it's not unbiblical. There's nothing wrong with it. But you know that God's been telling you, you need to give that part up. That's where this guy's at. He's at a point that there was that one thing that he held close to him that was most important in his life, that was actually more important than a relationship with Jesus, more important than a, than a, a kingdom of heaven. And I think we all can get that, time, that place sometimes where there's those things we're not willing to stop doing. There's those things that we won't say, hey, you know what, God, I give it all to you. Hey, God, it's your kingdom, and I'm an heir to your kingdom, so it's all yours, right? We have those moments, those things that we're like, no, I'm not doing it, right? And uh, I always think, it says in verse 23, it says, but when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And sometimes we hear a message in church, somebody preaches a message, and you hear that message, and immediately your heart drops, or you're like, man, I don't, I don't like that word, right? That, that hurts. I don't want to hear it. Like a tithing message last week, you know, you're listening to tithe message, you're like, oh, I don't want to hear that. And we can go away from messages that are hard. We can go away from those things that reveal something in us, sad, downhearted, and just walk away, or we can walk straight into them and say, you're right, Jesus. It's all yours. You're right, Jesus. Our reaction to those moments whenever Jesus is trying to get our attention matter a lot. If we turn away from it, things aren't going to go well. But if we walk right into it and surrender it to Jesus, all this man had to do is say, okay, Jesus, it's all yours. That's all he had to do. He didn't have to walk away sad. He could have just said, it's yours. How do you, where do you want me to put it? What do you want me to do with these riches? A lot of things may have happened there. Jesus may have said, well, go sell it, bring it back. We're going to give it to here, 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 and here. You follow me, and I'll take care of you for the rest of your days. Or he could have said, hey, you know what? 
I want you to continue to keep your riches, but I want you to start using them in this way. We don't know how he would have done it. But this guy, I don't know how he would have done it either because he walks away. Sad, right? Downhearted. We have to be willing to get rid of those things that are holding us back. Okay, verse 24 says, Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go, to, go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And uh, our men's group has talked about this before. This is a, a scripture that isn't about a camel going through an actual needle, Right? Because he says it's harder than that, right? Well, you're never going to fit a camel through a true needle. The eye of the needle was whenever you had a city, and at night when you would shut the gates, you always had that little man gate, the small little gate that you would enter the city in, right? They would call that the eye of the needle. It's the only way in is through that eye. The problem is... It's really hard to get a camel into that. You pretty much have to lay them down and kind of get them to walk through it because it's a small gate. And a camel cannot walk through it whenever it has baggage on it. You have to take everything off of the camel to get it to walk through that gate. Everything. It is impossible for it to go through with anything still on it. And Jesus is telling us unless we take everything off, we let go of all of our baggage. We empty ourselves completely, we'll never make it through, right? Unless we let go of the things of this world and all the baggage we're carrying, we will not make it into heaven. That blows my mind. Like, I know we're supposed to say, you say the sinner's prayer and you're going to make it to heaven, but that's just a start, right? Getting to the eye of the needle is the start. Getting in is a journey, right? Stuff's got to happen. And what is it that's more important in our lives than Jesus? It's pretty much what he's saying. Leave your baggage behind. Take it off. Come through the eye of the needle. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? I like that. I like that word because we know these guys have given up everything and they're still trying to figure out, then how can I do this? How can I be saved? They could have like just been like, "Woo, I made it. I'm good. But they didn't. They're still asking. As we should always be asking, God, am I good? Am I okay? What do I need to do? Lord, what is there in me that needs to be searched out? What needs to be left behind? That should always be our question. It should never be walking away sad or angry because somebody speaks a word and we're sitting here thinking like, ah, I don't like that one. It should always be how. How, right? And Jesus said to them, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And yet again, it goes back to the very message. The very title was, are you good enough? You're not. But Jesus is. And so whenever the rich young ruler approaches Jesus and he says, good teacher. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? He could have said, because you're my only way. You're the only way I can do this. You're the one who's good. I'm not good enough, but you are. And I need you to help me with this, right? 
because it's not possible with me, but it is with Jesus, right? And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house, wife, brothers, parents, or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. Now, I'm not telling you to leave any of that stuff. Is what I am telling you whenever you are willing to let go of the things that are holding you back. You will be blessed far more than those things you have. And that's what he's trying to tell them here. Let's see here. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions real quick. And Ryan, you can come on up and we're going to do communion after I ask these few questions. But it says, uh, one of the things I want to ask is, how do we approach Jesus? Right. How do you approach him? When we, we are praying or we're doing whatever we need to do, we have to ask ourselves, how do we approach Jesus? Um, is it as a child? Or is it as one who's got it figured out and you just need Jesus to bless your plan? Right? Do you ever find yourself thinking you are doing good? Because this rich young ruler, I believe, thought, hey, I'd been doing some good here, and now I don't know. I don't know. So how do I inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, hey, get rid of those things that are holding you back. And I'm going to go back to that verse when Jesus said in the end, I don't know if I'll ever find anyone of faith. I ask that when Jesus returns, will we be those people? Will he find us in faith, right? Or will we be like the Pharisees, who are some people who are doing all the right things? Whitewashed tombs that look good on the outside, but on the inside, we, we don't have it figured out. We're just trying to go through the motions and do what we want to do, right? And so uh, I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to pray for us. I want us to think about that. Are we like that rich young ruler? Like we're confused? Like I'm not sure. I just don't know. There are some things I need to let go of. And and we need to evaluate ourselves. We're about to go into communion, and those are the things that Paul said to evaluate yourselves. Be ready to take communion. And we always should be evaluating ourselves. Right? We're not good enough, but we have one who is. We have a Savior. We have one who paid the cost. And all we have to do is let go of all that baggage that we're trying to carry around with us and and ask Jesus to allow in. And he's saying, no, I'm not going to allow that in. Right? So I'm going to pray. We'll do a little bit of worship, and then we'll come back up. We're going to do communion together. Father God, I thank you for who you are, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, that you are the good good father and good servant Lord you're the good teacher you're everything about you is good and God you said none is good but you so father God I pray you would search us Lord those things in us that are not good those things in us Lord that you are asking us to to release to you to let go to you Lord and father God I pray that we would just have faith 
that you're going to take care of it all, Lord. That we would have faith, Lord, that you would, as we pray for you, you would provide, you will take care of all of our needs. And Father God, I pray that you would just search us. That you would help us be more like you, Lord, more dependent on you. Let us be more like children, God. Those who would be... We don't have the plan, God. We don't know what you want to do. But you're the good Father, and we're going to do it with you. We're going to be with you. And our lives are going to be dedicated to you, Lord. And Jesus, help us have faith where we lack in faith. Let us not be like the Pharisees, God, who tried to get by on good deeds and and doing what they thought was right. But let us be ones that are constantly surrendering to you. Thank you, Jesus. these packages are no fun, but if you see somebody struggling, help them out. It, uh, there's a little film on top and then the cellophane above that or an aluminum foil, whatever it is. So, uh, so I'm going to going to read the scripture out of verse, or chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, verse 23 is where I'll start. I'm going to read the scripture and I'm going to pray bread we're going to take it together and then I'm going to do the same for the, the blood so in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, it says for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me Father God we thank you for for such the sacrifice you took, Lord. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you that even before we understood our need for you, Lord, even as we were little, Lord, before we, before anybody else knew we would exist, Jesus, you did this for us. You died for us. You, you emptied yourself of your eternal being in heaven at the time to come and live in our fallen world, Lord, to give a perfect life and and to live it for us and to die and to be sacrificed for us, Lord. Father God, we are so grateful and thankful that you would do that for, for even us, Lord. So, Lord, we pray blessing over this bread. In Jesus' name we pray. same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is a new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it remembers from me for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes Father God we thank you Lord we thank you for this covenant Lord that that your blood made Lord that we would have eternal life for you Lord and as we we go through this life, Lord, and struggles may come and may go, but you promise to be our provider. You promise to get us through it, Lord, and you promise that there is a better 
life to come, Lord, and I'm so grateful and thankful that you made a covenant for us to be just to be a part of that, Lord, where we fall short, you did not. And I thank you for eternal life, Lord, and we will proclaim it until the day you come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Father God, I thank you for everybody in here, Lord. I thank you that... I thank you for how much you love each of us, Lord. God, I pray that you be with us as we go throughout our week, Lord. That we can be always reminded. Be like your children, Lord. And not like the servants, Lord. You said, Father God, that we... We were adopted into your presence, Lord, or into your kingdom, Lord. Galatians said we are heirs to your throne. We are heirs to the kingdom of heaven, Lord. Let us always live as those kind of children. Let us never try to have our own plans when we come to you, Lord, but instead let us always be willing to be a part of what you're doing and to release the rest to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.